Welcome to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. Today's program is about advocacy and public policy. I have pointed out in previous episodes of the program that the year 2013 saw $203 billion spent on care for persons with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. By the year 2050, that annual expenditure is expected to climb to $1.2 trillion. In 2013, 53% of these expenses were covered by Medicare and 17% were covered by Medicaid. Thus, 70% of all the expenditures were paid by state and federal governments. We might agree that the government is also standing on the brink of the Alzheimer epidemic. So what can the government do about this in terms of modeling care for chronic conditions, uh, providing alternatives to hospitalization, alternatives to other forms of long-term care? We're going to talk about that today, and we're going to talk about public policy generally. Regardless of your political affiliations, you may be Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Liberal, Conservative, regardless of your political leanings, Politics is about one thing only, and that is the allocation of a finite set of resources. The resources come from us, the taxpaying people. They are allocated to programs, purchases, undertakings that policymakers consider to be of greatest importance. Undertakings that are considered less important are either unfunded or underfunded. So, a couple of key questions. One is, how do policymakers decide what is important? Question number two is, what really is important? This is where we the people come in. If you're listening to this program, you know that there is something about the Alzheimer experience that is very important. If you are financially astute, you realize that something about the provision of health care services to persons with Alzheimer's disease and other causes of dementia is very important. So come on in. Grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair. Let's discuss advocacy and public policy. And our guest is Libby Conley. Libby is the director, the regional director of the Abilene, Texas office of the Alzheimer Association. Uh, she was previously a district aide for state representative David Farabee from Wichita Falls. Uh, she then served as um, an assistant to Congressman Charlie Stenholm from Texas District 17 until his office closed. Libby began her position as the Abilene Regional Director in September of 2005, and in that position, she has been responsible for fundraising, ensuring core services uh, are provided appropriately to a 14-county region in north-central Texas. And these core services include the telephone helpline, education and training, support groups, the safe return program, research, and advocacy. 
She is responsible for advocacy information and the advocacy actions for the North Central Texas chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. Libby Conley, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. When you became the regional director for the Alzheimer's office, what were your expectations at that time? Well, you know, I, I really didn't have a lot of expectations because I didn't know a lot about Alzheimer's disease. And so I, I assumed I would be answering questions from people. I thought I might be uh, suggesting um you know, giving information and referral and that type of thing. But goodness, things have changed so drastically since 2005. Uh, if I went into it today, my expectations would be much, much different. It has been a dynamic nine years, hasn't it? Has. It? it really has. And I would like to point mm -hmm. out to the listenership, by the way, this office that you preside over in Abilene has been nationally recognized for the quality of its work. So you have done a very excellent job and you have blessed a lot of lives. Thank you, sir. Now, with your experience both in state government and in federal government, first for State Representative David Farabee and then for uh, Federal Representative Congressman Charles Stenholm, you are uniquely suited to be involved in the advocacy efforts for the whole chapter. That's correct. Mm -hmm. What are your responsibilities now as far as advocacy is concerned? Well, uh, is to make sure that our um, the folks that live in our chapter service area in those 40 counties are aware of um, the needs of uh, Alzheimer families, of uh, the possible laws that we are, hope to get passed, uh, either state or federally. Uh, and to, just to make sure that people are aware that there is an advocacy movement for Alzheimer's. So, based on your experience, what can you tell listeners about the role of individual citizens in governance and advocacy? Well, uh, as you know, um, the lawmakers get into office because individuals vote. And so they definitely will listen to their constituents. And so you have to let them know what, uh, what is important to you and what you feel like they should be paying attention to in voting. And I can um, tell you from the two offices that I worked in, uh, the, you know, it, it's that they definitely want to know. They, definitely want to know your thoughts, your concerns, and what you hope they will do so that they can research that, get more information, and be able to vote intelligently. There are a number of different ways that citizens inform um, a congressman of their concerns and their desires and things like that. What are the ways that they do that? Um, well, face-to-face. And it does not have to be with the actual congressman or uh, senator um, or state representative or senator. Uh, the, the staff are sort of the gatekeepers, and they're the ears for 
the person that they work for. So you could call the office. Uh, you could go into the office, meet with their staff. You could call the office and, and just say, you know, I'm a constituent. This is my concern. And, and I can assure you that they take notes on that. They make sure that their uh, boss gets that information. Uh, another way is email um, and letters. I mean, you really can just get in touch with them just about any way uh, that is convenient for you. So as gatekeepers, um, it would seem that if a citizen could make a coherent presentation, a coherent argument to that individual, one that seems reasonably sound, the gate is opened a lot more um, effectively for that citizen to be heard. I think that's right. And, and you know, I think a lot of people uh, think, oh, if I don't get to talk to the congressman himself, then we're not, um, we're not you know, getting the, the message out there. But uh, I just want to let everybody know that, yes, their staff are definitely getting that message to them. Do congressmen have individual staff members that develop expertise in different areas of the yes, overall they, process? they certainly do. Mm-hmm. So if someone said, I want to meet with my congressman's um, office staff regarding an issue related to health care mm-hmm. or an issue re- related to, um, uh, let's say, immigration. They would be connected with someone who is already um, skilled and knowledgeable in that area and um, would know what they're talking about usually at that, that time. That's correct. And, and, you know, in the district offices – which is where most of the calls from the constituents go. Um, it, it's staffed by people who try to help the constituents with whatever problems they may be having in that area. And so if you, if you had a concern about health care, that call or that appointment would go to the person who works on those issues. In the, um, in the Capitol office, in the D.C. office, they have staff who would... T- same way you would talk to them about those issues, but also they are the ones who do the the more in depth research and uh, prepare uh, talking notes and things like that. So April seven to nine this year, just mm-hmm. a few short weeks away, is the Alzheimer Association um, Policy Forum. What is going to happen in Washington at that time? Well, um, you could expect to see. Um, Several hundred. I believe last year there were six or seven hundred people from around the nation who all gather together in Washington, D.C. The first couple of days you'll hear people speak about the best way to advocate, the best way to communicate with the congressional offices. You'll learn more details about the disease and about what uh, the federal priorities are for the Alzheimer's Association. And then on the last day of the forum, everyone will uh, be walking the halls of the offices, uh, the congressional offices, and meeting with their representatives or their staff and letting them know this is what we, this is what we need 
this is what we expect you as our congressman to look into and to vote for, and it's important, and then you'll leave a packet. And and one thing that I, I want to make sure that everybody understands, when you go to the forum, they will prepare you completely for that meeting. They will not send you in without the information that you need. So that is really the beauty of this um, advocacy forum. So on April the 9th, five to 600 people will be descending mm-hmm. on the hill Absolutely. to make their arguments. Well, Libby, thank you for clarifying those things. We're going to go to a break, and when we return, we will continue our discussion with Libby Conley. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. And we are back. Thank you for staying with us. We are talking with Libby Conley, who is the regional director of the uh, Abilene Alzheimer Association office, and she is the one responsible for advocacy for the North Central Texas chapter of the Alzheimer's 
Association. She has experience with both state and federal government and has a wealth of information to share with us. So Libby, we were talking about the advocacy forum coming up next week and the people that will be there, uh, somewhere five to 600 people or hopefully more than that, um, will go through a couple of days of preparing for their visits on uh, uh, Capitol Hill. And um, so they will bring a packet of information with them. They will be briefed on where the research is, what the latest statistics are, and things like that. They go to the congressional office, and they've already made an appointment for that. They're not showing up cold, but they have appointments there. What happens next? Well, you go in and you meet with um, the staff person or the congressman or congresswoman, um, and and you wouldn't expect a long meeting. You know, 10 minutes is really a pretty long meeting in those congressional offices. Um, the halls are lined with people up there talking about every um, area of concern that you can even imagine. So uh, you would go in and talk to them, tell them what you're there to talk about, give them the information that they're asking that we feel like they need, hand them their packet. The The staff person or the congressman will probably have a few questions and, uh, and, and that's it. It's, it's, and, and, you know, it's, it's very simple. Uh, I always like to tell people that the staff of congressional offices are just regular people like you and me who um, are there to help their constituents. So um, after the staffer or the congressman gets the information, well, then they'll do some more research into what uh, what has has been done, what's being done, and and then putting that together with what we are asking for. And normally there will be a contact person assigned as well if there's a desire for some specific follow-up um, uh, clarification or explanation of something. That's that's true. And, and um, when you get through with your meeting, then you will let the folks in the advocacy uh, office in our Washington, D.C. office know, yes, they had some more questions that I could not answer. So will you contact them and answer the more uh, detailed questions that they might have. So the individual, the constituent, the voter, goes over the information that has been organized for them, presents that, um, discusses how Alzheimer's disease has impacted their life or the life of someone that they know and love. They have their discussion. There may or may not be some kind of a follow-up for clarification. And then in Washington, Washington has its own language. Language. Mm-hmm. I know that. In Washington, they have this thing that they call the ask, A-S-K. Yes. What is the ask? Well, the ask is, what do we want them to do? And, you know, a lot of times we go in there, we talk about it, but we don't really just put that question to them. Will you vote for this? And this is whatever it is that we're asking for. And you want to be sure when you meet uh, in Washington or in your home district offices that you do make that ask. Because uh, if we don't ask, they're probably not going to do it. 
therefore, um, someone who comes into that congressional office or Senate office um, needs to be aware of what is going on at the Hill, what bills have been presented or be are, are being prepared, what kinds of budget issues are in discussion at that point, what kind of things might be going on at the National Institutes of Health, uh, at the Food and Drug Administration, and all these various entities that impact on Alzheimer's care. So how do they know about that? <laughs> well, we wouldn't expect you to know, but uh, you can always contact your Alzheimer's Association office, and we can get that information to you. Our uh, advocacy staff in Washington is uh, very well versed. They're great people. They will get right back to us so that we can answer your questions and prepare you to meet. Let's talk about some of the advocacy efforts over the years. Um, would you mind to just maybe outline what some of the major accomplishments have been done? And as you do that, I might, from my professional perspective, expand a little bit on what okay. each one means. Well, certainly. And and we have had some victories uh, in um, public policy uh relating to Alzheimer's disease. And the reason we've had these uh, victories is because people like uh, your listeners are going out and talking to their lawmakers. Uh, in 2004, uh, the Alzheimer medicines were included in the Medicare uh, drug formulary. And that was very important. Let me expand on that just a little bit. A formulary is something that a hospital or a paying organization might have that is a listing of all the medications that they have approved and are willing to pay for. And when we look at the medications at that time, prominent was Aricept, and others have become available since then, Galantamine, uh, Exelon, and Namenda, uh, um, as we um, consider the availability of these drugs, if they were not on the Medicare drug formulary, Medicare would not pay for their usage. And so this are, was a big victory. It was a big victory, and those medications are very expensive. Very. Mm -hmm. Of course, Aricept is now available as a generic Donepazil, and so that has reduced the cost, but the others continue to be rather expensive. Absolutely. Uh, another victory, uh, as recently as 2010, um, the elimination of the Social Security disability two-year waiting period for those diagnosed with younger or early onset Alzheimer's disease. Um, what that means is if, if you were under the age of 65 and you were diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, you, in, in, the, uh, in the past, you either had to wait until you were 65 in, in order to be considered disabled and to get your benefits, or you had to wait two years. Well, you can imagine if you were um, had Alzheimer's disease, you could not work. You probably lost your insurance because your insurance was through your work, and you're waiting two years to be able to get uh disability ins uh, insurance and, and help, that is just 
horrible. And yes. so that was a big victory. Yes, and let me expand on that one just briefly. Traditionally, uh, Social Security Disability has had that two-year wait period, but they made an exception many years ago for one disorder, and that disorder was amyotrophic lateral sclerosis mm-hmm. or Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, uh, forgive me. They also made an exception mm-hmm. for renal failure right. so okay. that someone would have access to a dialysis treatment. Mm-hmm. Given that Several hundred thousand people in this country have early onset Alzheimer's, and most of them are working as they develop the disorder. Then um, decreasing this wait period was a very, very positive step. Absolutely. Well, we have a caller uh, on the line, so uh, I would like to welcome you, Congressman. Are you there? Uh, yo, yeah, this is Charlie Stenholm. Congressman Stenholm, how are you? Fine, Dr. Brinkman, how are you? I'm doing well, and I am so grateful to you for calling in this evening. Uh, I want to thank you for the many years of wonderful service that you gave to people from Texas and people to the United States, and uh, I have treasured my relationship with you. So thank you so much for calling in. Our program, uh, as you know, is on the issue of advocacy and public policy. And uh, we have listeners who, most of whom have probably never talked to a congressman or a senator. They've never really brought information or expectations or requests to a congressional office. What could you say to those people regarding the concerns that they have and your desire, you are now retired, but your desire as a former congressman to hear those issues? Well, the first thing I would say is I encourage, as I did when I was uh, your congressman for 26 years, I always encourage people to contract my office. And I understand uh, Libby Conley is uh, either there in the studio or she's the one that called me and encouraged me to be on tonight. Uh, Libby was one of my staffers. And one of the things that's awfully important for everybody to understand, it's the staff of members of Congress that are the most important, because no member of Congress can ever be an expert on every question that comes in. You have to have very talented and and the staffers that are dedicated to their job to finding the answer. And so, you know, encouraging people to contact their congressmen and women or their state representatives is extremely important, because the only way that your elected representative can do what you want them to do is for you to share with them what it is you want them to do. And that is so simple to me, but it seems to be so complex in in this world of politics today. Well, you know, um, much better than I do that politics is um, often associated with a lot of light and noise and not necessarily a lot of clarity. Oh, you're not going to comment uh, on that, stated, Dr. Brickman, <laughs> and unfortunately, that's the way it is. But that's you know, that's a sign of the times. Also, it's it's the media. Uh, when I was first elected, we didn't have uh, a dozen talk shows constantly on TV and on the radio, all of which are self-appointed experts, of which most people do not realize that most of the people that you hear on radio are on TV on shows night after night. They're entertainers. They are designed, they are totally designed to say that which they believe their listening audience would like to hear them say, and more often than not, 
say it as in high decibels as you can. And that creates the division we have in our political process today in which we have a divided country 50-50. And uh, the wingnuts are in charge of both of our parties, the ultra-left and the ultra-right, and that leaves the sensible center without representation today, at least here in Washington. Congressman, you know, to say the least, uh, when I have been in Washington um, and I have met with uh, congressional staffers, senatorial staffers, um, and other individuals, you know, I leave there wondering whether I did some good or not. Generally speaking, I feel that uh, I was able to represent the issue well, but I don't know what happens to that in the overall climate that we deal with. Well, I I will say with some certainty that when people like you come to Washington and share your ideas and observations with the staff and and every now and then with the actual member of Congress or or the senator, you you have not wasted your time. That is so important to the political democratic process of our country, and it is not wasting your time. The problem we have today is the politics. We're, our political system is broken, absolutely broken. And as those people listening to us tonight, there will be some here that will saying, well, there's another Democrat talking. There will others be saying something else. But I'm saying when you have a system of government in which Congress seems incapable of dealing with the issues at hand, because of the inability to come to a compromise, which compromise is not a four-letter word in my vocabulary, and I believe if you will look back to the beginning of this country in which the Constitution was written, we would never have become the United States of America were it not the will of those strong, at that time men only, willingness to come to a compromise in order to create The Constitution of the United States, which is the envy of the rest of the world, if we hadn't gotten to that point, but we're incapable of compromise today because the political extremes on whatever issue you want to talk about, there is no willingness to come to the sensible center. Well, thank you, Congressman. And I would like our listenership to know, by the way, during your time in Congress, I met with you on occasion over issues that were before uh, before the House. And uh, I want to tell you, and I, I know that I've said this to your face already, that I appreciated two things about you. One is how attentively you listened and got clarification of the issue. And number two is how clearly you articulated your position on the issue. No uh, government speak, no um, fuzzy terminology, but I appreciated your clarity. And we didn't always see things the same way, usually, yes, but I greatly appreciated that about you, Congressman. And again, I thank you for the service that you gave this nation. Well, thank you very much for that, Dr. Brinkman. And, you know, that's the way I was raised in Erickstall, Texas. I mean, I think whether you're a congressman or whether you're a, a citizen of the United States, you owe it to your country and your fellow man to, to listen to the other view. And I do a lot of that today in my current uh, work as a lobbyist and educator for various positions of uh, oil and gas and agriculture and 
technology, you owe it to the people that elect you to listen, and then you owe it to them to tell you, if I disagree with you, here's why, and if I agree with you, here's why. And that's something that is uh, missing a great deal today, but uh, I'm still the eternal optimist, a farmer at heart. Uh, It's dry now in West Texas. We're going to get a rain. Uh, sooner or later, and it's going to be that. There that is an eternal optimist. <laughs> in the cotton crop of this year. All right. Well, Congressman, thank you so much for giving us your time, your knowledge, and your experience. I'm very grateful to you. Thank you, and uh, best to Libby there, Conley. Libby Conley is one of those staffers that I talked about. So invaluable to members of Congress and to state representatives, the staff that we have that work with us, not for us, but with us are so critical to coming up with the right answers. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. We are going to go to commercial break, and when we return, we have another caller, and uh, I know that you will be anxious to hear what he has to say. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. 
And we are back. Thank you for staying with us. We are talking with Libby Conley, and we just had a wonderful opportunity to hear from uh, former Congressman Charles Stenholm from Texas as he discussed what it is like from the standpoint of a congressman to have constituents constituents approach him with an issue. We have Richard on the line, and I have been looking forward to this call from Richard. Richard, how are you? been a long time since I saw you. <laughs> About uh, 24 hours, as I recall. <laughs> That's correct, yeah. Hey, in case some of the listeners aren't aware of our relationship, uh, Sam and I both have chairs on the uh, board of directors for the North Texas Alzheimer's Association. It's a very exciting opportunity that we have to share time and, and experiences together there. And Richard, I have appreciated so much your role on that board. You uh, you have done a wonderful job and you fill a key role. Would you uh, tell the listeners just a little bit about your background? Yeah, I I was one of the typical people that if you walked up to on the street and said, uh, are you involved with Alzheimer's in any way? I just said, yes, I have a father-in-law and I lost a grandfather that we assumed that was what it was, but diagnosis was not accurate back in those days. I became intimately aware of it when my first wife was diagnosed with early onset, somewhere around the age of 55, 57, something like that. And as an active teacher, yeah, active teacher for 29 years, uh, it it was really a shock to us all. And uh, uh, she figured out we didn't really realize what the problem was, but she couldn't keep up with her schoolwork. She couldn't keep up with her grading. And finally, uh, she decided to go ahead and take retirement. And then we started searching with the doctors to find out what really was going on and the worst of our fears were answered. And that's a really heart-wrenching thing to know. Uh, it, it's difficult with a grandparent or a parent, but it's extremely more difficult with a spouse to, to see, you know, there's not a knot in the end of that rope. Uh, yes, gonna, I understand. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, there's going to come a point in time that, that you can't do any further. Kay's activities were limited. Uh, her cognitive abilities remained fairly lucid in and out, but she became very uh, concerned with the walks that the Alzheimer's Association provided and got actively or as actively as she could in the walks, and I followed in her footsteps in those. And when she passed away in 2005, I determined that the least I could do for her and her legacy in the Alzheimer's Association was to devote time and energy to see what we could do to help find a, uh, a breaks for it, a, you know, a, a cure, heaven, heavens that we could ever find a cure for the thing, and do what we could to help promote if nothing else, awareness of what Alzheimer's is and how it can affect people, and then what's out there available to help you. And uh, joined the board, uh, the North Texas, and then later became an advocate, and then a step further uh, at the uh, encouragement of Libby and uh, uh, Teresa Hawker, our our local uh, executive officer, went to Washington, D.C. to one of the ambassador forums and was really introduced to an exciting program that the Alzheimer's Association has. And what it is, it's a direct relationship between the Alzheimer's Association and our congresspeople. Uh, We went through some training, and there's general training given so that you understand what the... uh, 
thrust is that the Alzheimer's Association is trying to make and where we need the federal funding and, and what we can do. And this way we can develop a constituent dialogue between advocates or, or the constituency in the representatives and senators' districts to come in and personally visit with them and bring information and literature to them. We have an opportunity while we're at that forum in Washington to visit with them personally in their offices up there or for their aides and to give them the information and, you know, try to help educate them on why this is such an important thrust that we need the congressional dollars that you heard earlier that we, we really need a lot of uh, a lot of support in. Well, Richard, I really appreciate uh, I appreciate what you have done there, and I appreciate your explanation of the ambassador program. And um, I am very grateful for you calling in because I know that this is a cause that's dear to your heart. I appreciate what you have given to the uh, board of directors for North Central Texas as well. And I wish you a good week, Richard. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Look forward to hearing Libby. Thank you. So, Libby, the ambassador program, how has that gone? It's gone very well. Um, It was the Alzheimer's Association's plan to have one person assigned to each uh, uh, federal representative and senator uh, that would be the the contact for uh, information for questions about Alzheimer's disease. Um, Richard ser- served as one. Uh, right now, um, I think we've. I don't believe every congressman has an ambassador assigned, but we're getting close to filling that need. And and that's something very simple uh, for someone to to get involved in that program if you're interested. Oh, thank you. Uh, we have another caller on the line. This is Libby. <laughs> Libby, welcome to the program. Hi, Sam. Hi, Libby. Hello. Two Libbies at once. <laughs> and this is Libby Ember. You have been a guest on this program already. And Libby, we have just a short time before the break. So I hope that you can hold over and continue to visit with us a little bit after the break. But uh, the question that I want to ask you is this. When you have been involved with the uh, the public policy forum in Washington, what was your experience in talking to public officials? Okay. Uh, you want me to answer that now? Yes, please. Okay. Um, well, it was um, it was really awesome. Um, you didn't always get to talk to the uh, congressperson themselves, but you talked to somebody in the office. And, um, you know, I think it was very helpful to have somebody with the disease that had a personal connection with the disease um, to uh, pull up the heartstrings to... Uh, you know, to give the emotional um, side of the disease and how it affects the families and uh, the needs of the person with the disease. So I think it was just very, very helpful uh, to do that because um, otherwise, I mean, sometimes if you have somebody going in and they don't have that personal connection, it's... um, they, they um, They don't emotionally connect with the disease. So it was very it was a very awesome experience. 
Yes, and uh, thank you, Libby. So please stay on the line until okay. after the break that we have coming up. Um, as I have said, the uh, advocacy forum is scheduled in Washington, April 7 to 9, and I know that not everyone can be there. Um, hopefully, we will again have five to 600 people there. I would love to see more than that there and involved and descending on Capitol Hill. Um, but if you can't be there, there are ways that you can help out from home by by sending emails, sending letters, and making phone calls in support of the Alzheimer Association effort to have a voice on Capitol Hill. So uh, please remember that there are many different ways that you can contribute to this advocacy effort. We are going to go to break, and when we return, we will talk a little bit more with Libby Embry. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Caring for someone with autism can be full of challenges and triumphs. Wherever you are on your autism journey, we all benefit from good information and guidance. Join host Rob Haupt every week for a friendly show that will leave you inspired and informed. Tune in to Autism Spectrum Radio. Our guests include parents, advocates, and experts to discuss current experiences, treatments, and breakthroughs for those living with autism. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. 
thanking, thank you for staying with us as we talk with Libby Conley from the Alzheimer's Association. And on the line is Libby Embry, who has um, spent a considerable amount of time and effort in the world of public education and has been in Washington, D.C. in congressional offices. Libby, Libby Embry, may I ask you this? Were you heard in Washington after you had a meeting with a congressional staffer or Senate staffer, did you feel that you were heard? In some offices, yes. Um, you know, I felt like um, maybe in uh, once or twice I felt like I was kind of dismissed. But uh, the majority of the time I really felt like people were listening to what I was saying. I had a personal message to say. And I really felt like most of them were listening. Um, I would like to give you the airwaves for just a couple of minutes and ask you what you would say to listeners out there in terms of getting their help and support and assistance in the advocacy effort. What would you say to them? Well, I think all of us um, are very aware that Alzheimer's remains one of the most unaddressed health issues in America. And um, it, uh, the way things are going with baby boomers coming of age, I think Alzheimer's uh, threatens to bankrupt families and um, our health care system. Uh, scientists are coming closer, I feel, to more treatment. Now, I, I don't know that they're coming closer to a cure, but I think we're we're going to get better treatment. Uh, people need to speak up for the needs and the rights of the people with Alzheimer's and their families. Um, we need people, just ordinary people, to keep persuading Congress to address Alzheimer's through legislative action. Uh, being an advocate is, is not that difficult. I know that when I was asked, I felt like... Um, this might be a problem, but really, all you're doing is um, keeping Alzheimer's uh, on the the front burner uh, by uh, with our elected officials by making calls and writing letters. It's not it's not time consuming, not that time consuming. Um, they themselves can stay on top of the policy uh, by joining the advocacy of the Alzheimer's, and they'll 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 get updates. Um, we need to uh, help elevate this disease in the eyes of Congress and make it just as important as any other disease. I'm not trying to take anything away from cancer or heart disease or anything like that. We just need it's, we need it's an equal opportunity disease. We need to, it needs to be on the same level with every other disease. People younger and younger are being diagnosed. And no one knows for sure that one day it wouldn't be them. It can happen to anyone. Libby, thank you so much for calling in and for encouraging people to help out with the advocacy effort. And I look forward to talking with you again soon. I appreciate everything you're doing, Dr. Brinkman. Thank you. Bye-bye. So we are now back with Libby Conley. And um, Libby, I have to laugh. I have been um, checking my emails here during the program. I received an email asking whether Senate seats are for sale. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm not even going to say where the email came from. <laughs> and uh, I personally don't have one to sell, by the way. <laughs> but uh, I thought, what a uh, what an interesting email to receive at this point as we're talking about advocacy. What are the hopes for this year's forum? Um, this year, uh, the the main federal priority that we're going to be pushing this year is called the Hope for Alzheimer's Act. And what it, the, the full name is Health Outcomes Planning and Education for Alzheimer's Act. And, and what it would do would be to increase the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, provide information on medical and non-medical services for newly diagnosed patients and to document the diagnosis in the patient's medical records. And you would think that, um, that you know, that w- is being done on a daily basis. But we know that about half of the people with Alzheimer's and, or some other type of dementia never get diagnosed. So it's very important to get that in the records and make sure that these folks who are living with this disease have the care and support that they need. One of the implications of that statistic about how many are actually diagnosed is this. You know, it's not so much about giving a label to somebody, but if someone has not been diagnosed with the disorder, then they probably are not being treated for that disorder. And while we cannot reverse the disorder and restore lost abilities, there are medication and non-medication things that can be done that very clearly have an impact on the quality of life. And so that's the importance of that component of the HOPE Act. That's that's exactly right. I want to ask our listenership a favor, by the way, before we come to the close of the program here. I am planning on doing a program coming up uh, on the topic of technology and what things have been developed in the area of technology that make a difference. And I have a few things in mind, and I've talked with a few people who will be uh, guests on the program and will discuss um, their uh, views on this and the inventions, so to speak, the developments that uh, they have had good experience with. And I would like to ask all of you to let me know what your thoughts are about technological advancements that make a difference for aging people and people who are either at risk of developing dementia or are um, diagnosed with dementia. Please send whatever suggestions you may have to my email at sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Libby Conley, what a privilege to have you here on the program. I'm so grateful to you for all that you have done, and I pray that your retirement, which is coming up very shortly, will uh, be a wonderful time for you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being here, and thank you for sharing your experience and your expertise in these areas. Um, Upcoming programs. Next week, we have Dr. Meharvan. He goes by the name Sonny Singh, who is going to discuss um, uh, research into 
aging, Alzheimer's disease, and the dementias. Uh, Dr. Singh has a wealth of information that he can share with you, and he and I were talking yesterday about how to pare the information down and um, cover things that will be of interest to you. Dr. Singh has had a great deal of expertise specifically in that controversial area of hormone replacement therapy and its role in potentially preventing the development of memory loss or hastening the development of memory loss. It's an area that is, from the research standpoint, just unclear at this point. So I know that you will benefit from Dr. Singh's very, uh, very excellent discussion next week. Uh, in addition, we've had to make a change in the upcoming schedule. Dr. Nancy Emerson Lombardo from Boston had planned on being here on March 25th, but we have had to set her date back to April 1. Uh, Dr. Lombardo is on the go constantly, uh, lending her expertise and experience with nutritional aspects of brain function and dementia. We know... Um, obviously that malnutrition is a very significant issue among elderly individuals, uh, sometimes because of difficulties in mobility and uh, movement, sometimes because of sensory change. Uh, a uh, An elderly person's nutritional state can become quite poor, and when that happens, the risk of dementia is very high, and of course the risk of uh, catastrophe is very high. In addition, we will ask Dr. Lombardo to discuss those nutritional supplements that are being encouraged uh, for help in preventing or in ameliorating some of the symptoms of mild cognitive impairment and dementia. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you to Libby Conley for joining us this evening, and I will look forward to being back with you in one week. Thank you for listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week. <laughs>